What up, dudes? This is Max, and I'm a dude with male infertility. Um, I wanted to start a podcast, and so I'm doing it. This podcast will be called Infertility for Dudes. I hope to talk about male infertility um, and talk about it specifically from perspective of a dude. Um, for dudes, I hope anyone and everyone listens, but... Um, as someone with male fertility, I understand uh, the way it affects your masculine identity. Um, you you feel a bit of uh, pride. You feel embarrassed. You know you don't want other people to think that you're struggling or that you're struggling with something. So you try to keep everything all tightly wound up. And the purpose of this podcast is to help me open up because it's something I really struggle with. It's something I want to be better about. And I understand that in order for me to move forward and continue to heal and just find happiness, I need to be open and share my experiences and find how to cope with those things in a world where you feel like you're all alone and you may be one of the only people going through what you're going through. And so that's the goal of the infertility for dudes podcast is to share my story, my feelings, and hopefully connect with other people who feel similarly and want to move forward. Cause I think that it's easy to get in a spot where you feel like you want to move forward, but it's too hard to, you don't want to talk about it. It's really hard for me. Uh, podcasting is easy for me because I don't have to talk to someone face to face about it. I can hide the emotion a little easier. I can, uh, not share as much. Um, or I can share as much, but I don't know. It's just easier for me to, to do it this way. I hope to one day be able to get to the point where I'm more comfortable talking about it. Uh, I know because I want to talk about it. And I know that there's a lot of people that struggle with this and I don't know them, but I'd like to know them because uh, it's a bummer feeling like you're at it, taking it on all alone. Um, you know, thankfully I have an awesome wife who is there for me, but uh, you know, that dynamic is hard too because she's struggling and we should go through it. We feel similar feelings, but we also feel them for different reasons in a way. You know, me with my my masculine side and her for her feminine side, you know, the, the feminine identity that is so tied to being able to have children. And then for me, just, you know, like I said, pride, um, wanting to feel like I'm all good and, you know, I'm I'm fine. I, I can I can get through things. Um, so yeah, that's why I started the infertility for dudes podcast. And I, I really look forward to seeing where this goes. I don't really have much of a game plan. I just want it to be something I can, can talk about and hopefully one person listens or maybe a bunch. I don't know, uh, but I'm excited. Um, but yeah, I think I, I, a little bit about me. Uh, my name is Max. Um, I've been married to my wife for going on five years. Um, we started trying to have kids back in March of 2021. And about like a year later, we started realizing that something was wrong. Uh, we were able to have kids. Um, I grew up very active, um, run, I, I'm a marathoner, long distance runner, um, I play a lot of sports. I love basketball. Um, I, I hike a lot. I have two dogs. We like to get outdoors. Um, so for a while, we kind of thought maybe my physical activity may have 
been a, a cause for the male infertility. Um, anyways, so yeah, about a year later, you know, started getting some testing and trying to figure out what was going on. Uh, we went to the um, fertility specialist, um, and it was really awesome because through work, I have pretty good benefits, pretty good uh, for infertility benefits, and we were able to actually see an infertility do- infertility doctor rather than just uh, or a specialist rather than just a regular um, physician, doctor, whatever you want to call it. I'm not very good with all the technical terms. Um, but my wife had started having some pain in her abdomen. Um, I guess endometriosis runs in her family, but turned out she had endometriosis and ended up having to get surgery, a laparoscopy to get a bunch of those cysts removed. So endometriosis, again, it's not something I'm super technical about, but it's cysts that grow inside your, in on the ovaries and in the reproductive area, and they can spread all over the place and cause a lot of issues. Um, unfortunately for my wife, they had spread a decent amount and was a cause of pain and also uh, a little bit of damage, a little bit, a good amount of damage to her ovaries. Um, her, one of her ovaries, I think it was the right side was, was pretty wrapped up in cysts. Um, and that resulted in having very unhealthy ovary and uh, very few eggs. I think it was only like three or four they were able to see. And then her other ovary was pretty uh, bad as well. Had a few more eggs, but um, not the normal amount for someone her age. So it was pretty concerning. And uh, obviously, you know, the the next thing to do, we, she had a, her grandma and some of her aunts had endometriosis and were able to get it all sorted out and eventually have kids. So we kind of assumed that was, you know, the next step. And so that's what we decided to do. We decided to to get that surgery. Obviously, it was causing pain. We wanted to have kids. And the plan was kind of, you know, have the surgery. And you try to have kids right away because if not, the way it works is endometriosis will grow back every time you have your period. Uh, Something about the blood retroactively uh, circulating back through causes these cysts. Um, And so, yeah, you got to have kids quick. And if it doesn't work out that way, then you probably got to have IVF or something. Uh, so we started getting ready. We put the surgery date on the schedule and her infertility specialist decided to have me tested as well. He just wanted to make sure that, you know, once she was all healed up and ready to have kids after the surgery, then, you know, we, they just wanted to make sure I was ready to go as well. So they had me do a sperm sample. And in that sperm sample, I remember I was sitting at home at work one day. Uh, I submitted it. And I can't remember if it was the same day or a day or two later, but I remember getting a call while working and answering the phone and the physician, the specialist uh, introduced himself. like, Hey, how's it going? I'm just calling to update you on the results. Wanted to let you know that you don't have any sperm. And I remember feeling pretty taken aback. I was pretty surprised. I didn't really know how to feel. I didn't really understand what that meant. Uh, I didn't really know that was possible. And I was pretty scared. And I remember the specialist telling me, like, don't worry. Um, there's things that we can do to solve this, to um, see what's going on. I guess not solve, but, you know, see what the problem is and um, see if there's a way to fix it. So uh, from there, it's like, okay, well, my wife still has to have her surgery, um, but now we got to figure out mine. So, I had to get, I think it was called a micro which 
um, basically they go in and try to find sperm. Um, before that, I did a bunch of testosterone testing and they're trying to figure out if there is some imbalance that would be causing um, a problem with my sperm production. Uh, testosterone looked good, no issues there. I looked completely healthy. So the next option really was to just get this microtestes surgery where they go in and try to find sperm somewhere. They said that maybe there was a blockage, um, some, some tubes that connected somewhere that were blocked or not connected or not there. And if that was a reason, then hopefully there was sperm somewhere that they could pull from. And if they weren't able to reconnect it and, you know, make it so I can produce sperm and get my wife pregnant on my own, then it was going to have to be, you know, pulling out the sperm, freezing it, and then going through IVF. And that was really scary. I'd never really had a, a major health scare or anything in my life. I'm pretty squeamish when it comes to blood and doctors and all that. So it was definitely not something I was stoked on. I was not looking forward to doing it. But obviously, I knew I had to. It was what I wanted to do. Uh, so my wife had her surgery. And then I was supposed to have a surgery, my surgery, a week later. And my surgery ended up getting, we had to cancel it. Um, which was a huge bummer because the doctor who I was supposed to be seeing also at this infertility uh, facility with the infertility specialists, I would, the doctor I was supposed to see was originally under um, my insurance. And I guess he was retiring. And so they connected me over to his, his fill-in, whoever was taking his spot. And she unfortunately wasn't in my insurance and I didn't learn that until the week of the surgery. So my wife's recovering from her surgery and then all of a sudden I'm having to cancel mine. And, you know, there's all the emotions that play into it and you're, you're sad, you're, you're disappointed, you're scared. And so that was a pretty huge bummer to have to postpone it, but we kind of just assumed like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll postpone and, you know, get it all figured out. So we postponed, well, we had to cancel the surgery because she was the only person at the center that was able to perform that surgery. And so they connected me to uh, a college uh, hospital and I went through their urology system and got connected to a surgeon who was going to hopefully perform the surgery. And that was honestly one of the worst experiences of my life um, going through that. It just, so the surgery was supposed to be in November or October and then it got canceled and then also, I'm just now realizing I've been saying like a week after my wife's surgery was actually probably like more like a month or so. Um, but yeah, anyway, so I get forwarded over to this uh, urology um, of a, a university to, to get things addressed. And I can immediately tell that it's not going to be a pleasant experience. It took forever for me to get uh, not recommended. I'm forgetting the word, but... Um, the person I was saying had to recommend me basically transfer me over to go to this urology, uh, schools department, um, to get started over there and to make things a long story short, you know, that happened in November. So December, January, February, March, April, May, June, July, my surgery was in July of 2023. And in that time leading up between November 2022 to July 2023, I had only gotten to talk to the surgeon, doctor, whatever, twice. And it was both times on the phone. 
And then I talked to his assistant once on the phone and then went all the way where this facility was, which was this hospital, like an hour and a half away to see the assistant. And he looked at me for like three minutes and I was out the door and that all took, you know, however many months, November, December, January, February, March, April, May, June, July. So it's a total of nine months. Um, every time that I met with someone, I was told I'd be contacted within 48 hours to be scheduled for my next, you know, my follow-up appointment or coming into person or whatever, you know, my pre-op and then my actual operation. And every time, you know, it was like banging my head against the wall because no one would call and you're trying to call and get something scheduled. You can't find the right person. Um, no one's working in office. You can't go in yourself. I also live an hour and a half away from this this hospital, so I can't get in there easily. And it was just such a horrible experience. It felt like no one really cared, you know, something that I felt so sad about and it's so emotional. Didn't seem like the place was supposed to be helping me really even care. It seemed like, you know, it was just, you know, they knew they could get my money. They knew they were going to get my insurance money, whatever it was. And that was that. Um, and it was terrible. And I, I'm sure that people go through similar things. They are trying to get the help that they need and they can't get it and they are waiting and waiting. And I guess that's the sad truth. It seems like that's a common theme in infertility is the waiting. Um, unfortunately, that was also my experience, but fortunately I also was able to eventually get that surgery. And so I had my microtessi surgery in July of 2023. And, um, you know, I, I went into it pretty optimistic. I was pretty I was feeling good, but also deep down, I, I kind of expected worst case scenario. Um, for some reason, as much as I always wanted to have kids, I kind of always felt deep down that there I wouldn't be able to have kids. I don't know why. Um, and I, I felt that from a, a younger age. It was something that kind of, you know, maybe everyone kind of thinks that or, you know, people just think worst case scenario. But for some reason, I kind of always thought that and always just kind of put it to the side. Um, so deep down, I was kind of feeling like, oh man, is this actually going to work? And I went, got my surgery, came out, came to, I remember sitting in the, the post-operation room, my mom had come to help me out and we were sitting there and waiting. And then the doctor came in and he said, you know, I'm sorry to tell you that we couldn't find anything. There's no sperm. It doesn't look like there's any damage. So it's probably something you were just born with. And, um, that's that and there's nothing we can really do from here. And I'm sorry to, to tell you that because I know that's the worst thing you could hear. And I remember sitting there, I was pretty loopy still. You know, I, would, I didn't get put under. They just gave me some like sleeping meds, but I was, I guess loopy is the wrong word, but I was feeling pretty out of it. I felt pretty raw, felt pretty motion, uh, emotionless. And I didn't really know how to take it. And also, you know, again, I wanted to be tough. My mom's there. And... I was broken. I didn't know what to do. And we had to drive the hour and a half back to my house. I remember getting dressed, getting out of that place, getting back in the car and my mom driving me back. And I just didn't, didn't know what to do. I just kind of sat there and I couldn't really believe that that feeling that I'd had was true, that I couldn't have kids. Um, and that, you know, I'd been trying to have kids for what, two, two years at this point. And I'd been going through all this and all the emotion and the struggles of going through that urology 
program at the university and trying to get that help and the insurance and, you know, just never ending list of things and being so, so sad, but not willing to show it and not wanting to show it. And then I remember, you know, my wife was at work, she's a teacher and her coming home and she was, you know, we had texted her and she's sad and uh, I, I didn't tell anyone. I was so embarrassed. I was so sad that I, we, you know, our family, our parents knew and that's it. I didn't want to tell anyone else. I didn't tell my best friends, didn't tell my siblings. It was something I kind of just held close. I was, I was completely broken and didn't know how to cope. And there was lots of crying. There was lots of numbness. There was lots of confusion. Um, and yeah, just lots of, you know, painful feelings that I'd never felt before. Uh, I often think back, one of my, my thoughts that I remember is like, why is something that's so natural to being a human, something that I'll never get to experience? Uh, it was really hard and I just couldn't understand. I'm also a very religious person. Um, I believe in a God that I believe, you know, prioritizes fam families and uh, parents nurturing children and being together and going through life and into eternity together. And, you know, I just, I felt like everything I'd built my life on was suddenly torn down and everything I, you know, I'd gotten this good job, thankfully had these good benefits, but everything that I was doing in my life was building up to providing for my future family. And I just felt like my, that whole life was just kind of ripped away. And what was the point in everything I'd done? And it was hard. It was hard. It was sad. I was alone. I had my wife. I had my, my parents, but uh, I, I, I really didn't want to talk about it. And I really didn't want to address it, which is funny, which is not, I guess, not even funny, but it's ironic because my wife is the type that just wants to address it. Um, I'm really grateful for her, though, but because I think that she had kind of told people about her infertility, but no one had known that like I was also go going through stuff. So after she had her surgery, everyone was kind of like, well, hopefully you guys are able to get pregnant. Like, let us know. Like, my wife was pretty good because I, I really didn't want people to know about what I was going through. I didn't want people to have pity for me or, you know, be checking in on me because that just makes me have to talk about it. And then once I had the surgery and, you know, we got the worst news possible, I didn't want people feeling sorry for me then either and trying to check in on me. And it was, you know, I was just running away from the problem and I was running away from my emotions and the feelings and I'm trying to hide it all. But my wife really wanted to talk about it and open up. And so uh, she would, but I asked her, you know, just to kind of leave my stuff out of it, which she thankfully did for a good amount of time. I don't think we really opened up about it. I can't re remember exactly September, October, November. 2023. Yeah, a few months after my surgery was like the first week or second week of July, um, July 12th. So August, September, October, I think it was at least like three-ish months before we started telling people. Um, but yeah, that kind of is what led me to where I am today. Um, it took me a while to really even tell my best friends, my, my siblings, and it's still hard for me to talk about. Um, I see all my friends having kids and uh, progressing in that phase of life. And all of a sudden, I'm trying to figure out if I even want to adopt kids. It's it's a bitter, sweet subject because I know I want to have kids. But of course, once you're forced into it, all of a sudden, you start thinking of all the bad things of adoption or, um, you know, uh, 
you know, taking in other people's kids, fostering was the word I'm looking for. Um, and it's just hard. It's, it, it takes a toll on you and you have to, for me, I, at least I have to feel like, I, I feel like I need to emotionally prepare myself to want to adopt because I'm not there anymore and I need to get there, uh, so that when the time comes that I'm willing to give my all to the kids that I, I take in. And I know I want to definitely, I, I want to have kids. I want to, I want to adopt and I see the importance in it, but you know, it's hard to explain. I don't really know. It's just, you know, right now I'm not there, which is a bummer because if it were up to me, I'd have two or three kids already in my life. Um, but that's not the life that I get to live. Um, so yeah, I mean the thing about infertility, especially male infertility, it's a journey. I guess female infertility, all fertility is a journey and you take it day by day and some days are harder than others. And I'm hoping that I can move forward and other people can move forward as well. Everyone has their own story. Everyone goes through it differently. Everyone copes with it differently. And well, I mean, I think about myself and I, I don't really feel like I know many people. I feel like I know a lot of people that have fertility infertility issues, but get through it. I don't know many people who don't have a route through it. Um, I am thankful that our infertility journey ended short and sweet. Some people I know try to have kids for years, spend thousands of dollars for us. It was basically, you know, the first year uh, we found out pretty quick that we weren't going to be able to have kids and just got to rip off the bandaid right away. Um, I know some people go through a lot to be able to have kids, but also never are able to. Um, but this podcast is for everyone that goes through infertility. It's not for the people that are like me and just can never have kids. And I hope that I'm able to inspire other dudes. Like I said, this is infertility for dudes, for people who struggle to talk about it like me. Hopefully they can open up and uh, start healing, start being comfortable with it. People always tell me there's more people out there than I realize that go through infertility and I'm hoping to find those people and share those stories and connect and inspire and hopefully build myself up along the way. Uh, but yeah, hoping to release a, a new episode every Wednesday morning. So I'll be recording Tuesdays. I'm not going to stick to that and say it's for sure, but um, I'm going to try to do my best and try to come prepared this first you know, podcast is probably gonna be a bit all over the place. I, I didn't really know what to do. didn't really know where to start. I thought obviously telling my story and my purpose here would be a good way to start. I hope I can bring something to the table to offer and, uh, and grow and become strong together. So yeah, this is Max. This is Infertility for Dudes, episode one. Look forward to continuing to do this and hope to get some listens here and see some more listens on the next episode. I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, take care, everyone.